Dr. Pete Economo, the East Coast psychologist. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin, the West Coast psychologist. And this is When East Meets West. Well, behaviorism is everything. And this episode, Nikki, we're going to talk about how really there's nothing void of behaviorism in any experience that we have. Yeah, that, that's right. Because everything that we do <laughs> is behavior. Um, and I, I, you know, maybe if someone's listening to this going like, okay, Nikki, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty darn obvious. You, you think you're so smart. <laughs> yeah, you think you're so smart. I'd be like, yeah, well, but but we got to be, you know, you know, I like to operationalize things, so we got to be really concrete and clear here that everything that we do is behavior and I don't think that's something that not only the average the average show recognizes but actually the average clinician doesn't even recognize that sometimes, right? That Well, everything- maybe that's one of our episodes about like the different schools of thought, but you know, I think because we're typically like cognitive behavioral therapists like we're we're the cult, you know, it's it- yeah, yeah, we 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 like to focus on behavioral science, but I would say even within cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, the example I'll give is that there have oftentimes been um, like infighting in our community about, um, you know, what, what how do we define behavior? And sort of like the the second wave, the older school CBT therapists will talk about thoughts as their own thing, and it's like yeah. yes, you can have a thought, and that could be like a thing in your mind. Thinking is a behavior, though. That's right. Not a behavior we can see. It's a covert behavior, as I've talked about here before. We certainly but have. Thinking yeah. is a behavior. Imagining is a behavior. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Running is a behavior. Crying is a behavior. And one of the things I always struggle with that is like stop thought. You know, it's like, and that's for yeah. the second wave. It's like I, I don't know. I haven't learned any way of stopping my thoughts. Have no, you? No, we can't. No, because it's like that's a behavior that's ongoing. That's it's actually ongoing. part of our. Well, and that's it's an involuntary behavior. So, like we we could get really detailed here. Like your heart beating, like heart, yeah. your that's a behavior. You don't control yeah. that behavior, right? But that's it's right. a beha- that's something that's happening. Well, so what I wonder is, do you think our thoughts oh, continue actually, after what? Oh, go. Oh, I just realized I backed myself into a corner here because I'm like it's a behavior. <laughs> but I always talk about you can control behavior. Hmm. So actually, I take that back. Your heart beating, I would say, is not a behavior because it's an involuntary process in the body. Oh, oh, I see what you're <laughs> saying, but and then the thoughts yeah. are the same way. Well, but thoughts. Yeah, but well, but thoughts we do have agency. You can choose to think about. Well, see, I say we have control over nothing. Well, see, but that's where. But like right now, when you're just raise up your hand, you know, Pete and I can see each other on (laughs) on Zoom here. Um, You can you you chose to do that. I did. Right. So that we we have agency. We can't choose or we can't choose to think or choose not to think. Oh, so this is where we're really going to get sticky here, right? So yeah, yeah. we're getting sticky. Um, We can't choose thoughts that just show up. So that can be involuntary. That can right. um, automatic thought, in. we would call automatic that. thought, right? right? An automatic thought or like an intrusive image. An intrusive thoughts as well or images. Yeah. But what happens next, what we do, Correct. we control. That's so the we behavior. Can, that's the behavior. Yeah, so yeah. we can start to go like, I'm going to think about this, you know, I don't know, sandwich I want to have for lunch. Like maybe right. a tuna sandwich popped into and your I'm mind. And I'm on a diet or something like that. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Or or you don't have any tuna in your house and you're like, well, I can't make, I can't make a tuna sandwich, right? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, every, okay. I, yeah. yeah I, we, we, we got in the weeds a little bit, but I think <laughs> the way I look at it, especially, okay, I'll bring in the Buddhism. So thoughts are thoughts. There's no control over them. What you do is you build a relationship with them. They're loud. And so one of the things I talk about is that we can maybe look at the volume of it. 
mm-hmm. right? And so like I could potentially lower the volume of my thoughts, mm-hmm. but that I really can't control them. And I, I actually don't use the word control at all in my treatment. Yes. So there's no, like, I don't use the word, it's a verb to control mm-hmm. and you can, you might try to, but I don't think it's really that effective. So I think what we do in mm-hmm. third wave, especially in Buddhism is we learn to exist with our thoughts. Our thoughts are very creative Uh, And so they're not always great and they will kind of, they'll tempt us, you know, like they'll, if I'm on a diet and I'm like, I want, you know, I want a burger, uh, says the vegetarian, Uh, (laughs) you know, like, or something that maybe that I'm trying to avoid because I have high cholesterol or something like that. You're going to be tempted. Yes, totally. Thought, thoughts will tempt. And so I think what we're getting here is everything's behaviorism. And it's what I was going to say about the heart is like, I don't know if our thoughts stop when our heart stops. I'm gonna just put that out there. Let that right. sit. Oh there. yeah, I was gonna say. Now I love. I love when we start getting into like the and like and now we get into consciousness. There we now get into we're like, yeah, yeah, yes, and the philosophy right. of yeah. behavior and the philosophy is yeah, yeah. We don't know that. So we don't well, know. and so when we when we're saying behaviorism, when we go everything is behaviorism. It's like maybe what's more again to be more clear is like everything is behavior, and then Western behavioral science we have a well established, well studied. A scientific framework that helps us understand how behaviors are learned, right. right? And how behaviors are maintained, meaning why do we continue to do them? So and, before you give us a lesson on yeah. that, oh, I what will. I'm just going to yeah. say is I think that referencing back to the, the, the cognitive cult is we have a lot of also random control trials. So mm-hmm. in CBT, we because we're, we're, we're somewhat manualized, right? We can look at what we do in a manualized way when compared to other types of therapies, it might be just more subjective and in Mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. I think I bring that into my work, but the truth Mm -hmm. is what I'm doing is still based on learning theory. And that's just why that's some of the basis of the the cognitive cult language, uh, because we do have the most evidence-based empirical studies, you know, showing the efficacy of the interventions that you and I talk about here on this, on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I would say actually like just to, to clarify, you know, historically there, it was more man, there were manuals, right. But actually in the new, in third wave, we've actually like significantly moved away from that because, you know, as our listeners might guess, you know, uh, humans don't fit well into (laughs) a box of a manual and that's often um, a criticism, rightly so, of, of cognitive behavioral therapies. Sure. And the more modern um, approaches have really emphasized, again, how do these behavioral science principles, how can they be flexibly applied to complex human beings that we actually Coming don't need? Coming back to like, flexibility. Yeah, come back to flexibility. That, And then that's something, as we've talked about in the podcast before, um, has also been well studied as the more psychologically flexible someone is, it's highly correlated with psychological well-being. And yes. then the inverse is true. The le- the more inflexible someone is psychologically, it's co- it's that's highly correlated with psychopathology. Yes. Yeah. And right. so I think what we've talked about, and in, in, in Buddhism, we look at flexibility around, I mean, this Dalai Lama has looked at some more like neurological pathways and how actually flexibility can now be sort of seen with mm-hmm. some imaging. You know, we could yep. see changes yep. in certain areas of the brain. Um, so again, I think for listeners, just trying to think about ways to do it. So give us a little rundown of sort of learned and maintained. So you talked about behaviorism in general, Western behavioral science looks at how behaviors are learned and maintained or punished, yes. which we'll get into too. Absolutely. So I'll do the first one that I think most people are familiar with, which is, um, I would say most people have heard of Pavlov's dogs, right? So. Which is, which is, was, um, Pavlov was, was a guy who basically found that he was like running some kind of other study. And he found that when these dogs he was studying, um, when 
uh, he brought out food uh, to uh, to feed them, you know, their their breakfast or, or dinner or whatever. He rang a bell, yeah. and the dogs would salivate. And eventually, he started to notice that the dogs would salivate when they heard the bell, um, even though the food wasn't there. And right. so that was the start of this uh, uh, learning theory that's referred to as classical conditioning, which basically means the brain can learn to associate literally anything, yes. honestly, yeah. um, anything with um, what are already considered involuntary bodily processes. So like salivation, um, increased heart rate, like even like eye blinking, certain things that we don't choose to do, they're involuntary. But our bodies can learn to have those responses to things that are unrelated. So, you know, I, I always like to share an example of like when I was a grad student and I was, I'm doing, uh, I was working with like some very uh, suicidal patients. Yeah. Um, I had a certain cell phone ring that oh, I used to have. Oh yeah. And uh, I would get called on that yeah. number. Yeah. I would yeah. get called on that number by some people that were really suicidal. And my reaction understandably would be like my, it's involuntary when somebody you care about is in danger. Yeah. I was scared. And so I would sweat and my heart would increase. Yeah. And so I had to eventually change when I left that, uh, that training site, I had to change my cell phone ring because yeah. every time I heard that ring, and to this day, if someone has that ring, my body reacts. You remember. Yeah. 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 Right? That's a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and people listening can think about that with smells. You know, maybe it yep. reminds you of like a grandparent or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of the senses will trigger certain memories and both good and bad. And so I think within third wave and Buddha, like third wave CBT and Buddhism, we look at just radical acceptance of what is. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah. And I, I, so again, everything's behaviorism. Like if I work with an injured athlete, you know, like people think, well, that's PT and it's medicine. Well, it's also like mindset. You know, there's mm -hmm. evidence that the behavior that I approach my recovery will, will impact my prognosis to recovery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a big line there. So, uh, so, all right. So that's how things are learned. What about main, main you want to go well, maintenance, well, punishment? Well, I was going to say what you just shared is it was a nice segue into like another part of behaviorism. So, so classical conditioning is how we, we can, our brain can be conditioned to learn certain things. Right. There's also a type of um, behavioral learning theory called operant conditioning. Yeah. And this is something I would say most people are maybe more familiar with because it's the kind of, um, it's the kind of behavioral uh, theory used when, as we mentioned in our, our, our dogs and well-being episode, um, that is used when training animals. That's right? right. And so, uh, that this has to do, you can learn behaviors this way and it also maintain, can maintain certain behaviors, right. um, by uh, accessing these principles. So these have to do with reinforcement and punishment. And I always get really bummed out because these are sort of like the most <laughs> widely misunderstood, yeah. uh, principles and same thing, not just with the, uh, average Joe, but also actually clinicians I often come across don't, um, don't understand it as well. Yeah. Right. So basically what reinforcement means is that uh, if a behavior is reinforced, it means it's more likely to happen again. That's, That's right. all it means. Yeah. If a behavior is punished, it means a behavior is less likely to happen again. That's yeah. all it means. So it's not um, good or bad, right or wrong. It's just behavior is more likely to occur or less likely to occur. That's right. Right? So, you know, when we talk about positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, it doesn't mean what most people think it does. It's like they're terribly named, in my opinion, right? I know. <laughs> positive doesn't positive doesn't mean good, and negative doesn't mean bad. That's right. Positive in operant conditioning means we add something to the situation, That's right. and negative means we take something away. Yeah. So, if I want to train my dog to uh, learn to shake, and I want to uh, positively reinforce it, 
reinforce him, I'm going to grab his paw and say, shake, and then I'm going to give him a cookie. I've okay. added something. And when he gets right. the cookie, it means he's more likely to give me his paw next time, right? right? It'll, take a, it'll take, you know, several uh, Tra- Learning trials, trials right? Yep. It'll take many trials. He's yep. not going to He's not that smart. He's not going to learn it up in one, in one trial. Negative reinforcement means we take something away. So let's say somebody um, in my neighborhood is afraid of dogs. Yeah. And every time they walk by me, and my dog, very, my dog Toby, he's very large. He's like 110 pounds. Even though he's a gentle giant, they don't know that. They don't know right? that. They feel afraid. Yeah. And so if they're walking on the same side of the street as me, and they decide, oh, that's cross scary. I'm going to cross the street. Yeah. Guess what? Their anxiety goes away. Yeah. That's and what does that do? Does it teach? It teaches their brain that they're more likely next yes. time they see a dog to avoid. That's yeah. what negative reinforcement is. Any Beautiful. other examples you'd add before I jump into punishment here? Go to punishment because I think because we'll, then we'll go to like the real life. You know, we'll give more examples. So go okay, to punishment. Okay. Okay. So punishment also I think widely misunderstood because it's colloquially used. Obviously, as like I'm going to punish someone, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do something bad to them. But again, in behaviorism, it just means that a behavior is less likely to occur. So. Punishment's not used a lot in therapy because um, it doesn't teach new behavior. It just suppresses behavior. So here's an example, Um, and I'll use a positive punishment example. So again, positive. Remember, we've added added something. Added. So if you get a ticket while speeding on the freeway and, you know, if you're speeding on, if you're in LA and you're speeding on the 405 and you get a a fine, right, (laughs) woo, the 405, um, that's positive punishment. You've been, something's been added, you're given a fine. And you're less likely to speed on the four or five going forward. But right. here's the thing. It doesn't teach you not to speed. You get on the 10 freeway, you might, you know, hit 90 miles an hour, no problem. <laughs> right? That's right. So positive punishment, um, you know, it has a place. It doesn't, it's not very effective at honestly, like teaching people newer adaptive behaviors. It just kind of temporarily suppresses the behavior you don't want. Um, negative punishment is where we take things away. This is often used um, like with children, right? Like taking stimuli away. So, you know, if a kid goes on a timeout, right? Uh, because they've like thrown all their toys all over. And so you put them Go in tantrums. a boring room in the house to have mm-hmm. a, you know, you're removing negative, taking away. Um, you're taking away the stimuli, stimuli. Uh, the exciting stuff um, to hopefully reduce that behavior of tossing right. their, their toys around. Yep. So that's my little lesson. Hopefully that's uh, clear for everybody. So maybe- Well, it's probably not. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of times, too, I mean, it is, yeah. and I yeah. appreciate it. But, you know, I think when we're just regular human beings in the world, we're not always thinking about these things. And that's why, you know, God bless her, your, your English major mm-hmm. undergraduate dogs, <laughs> Lola, um, you know, was not the best behaved, uh, nope. you know, and so, you know, even knowing all these principles. So I think for, yeah. Yeah, you can't do it. it, it knowing them doesn't mean that you execute them perfectly. I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Because, well, and I think that the reason, though, I always want to be really clear, and I often, you know, I often share some of this psychoed with with patients. Oh, because sure. I feel like that's the thing is because everything we do is behavior, actually, really understanding what's happening gives you more right. opportunity to choose how you respond. So it doesn't mean it's going to go perfectly, right? right? We, you know, humans, animals, we're all complex organisms, though it might help you. Uh, make choices about what you do next that right. might work a little bit more effectively than just, you know, doing And whatever that's the way we look easy. at it is like right or wrong. It's not right or wrong. It's just effective. No. I find myself using that language a lot too. It's like, can I be effective? Can I find effective communication? Things like that. And so right. really uh, there's nothing that, in my opinion, that does not include behaviorism. Everything we do is behaviorism, politics, you know, my job in academia, 
sports, uh, going to the gym, just my own sort of self-care or personal growth, holidays, you know, so we're recording this right after Thanksgiving. And then as we get into the December holiday season for whatever you celebrate, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of behaviorism in the holidays, you know. <laughs> well, tell, we'll say more about like why, because I think maybe like hearing sort of, so I just kind of gave like the the drier, you know, like concrete info about, you know, what behavioral science is. And then, you know, you're saying like, well, this applies to everything. And I'm sure yeah. there are people listening going like, okay, but like how, yeah. like, how does this apply? How does this apply to, to everything that I do? Yeah. So like my nieces having crayons by the couch, which like their mother's like, no crayons by the couch. And I, and I'm just like, oh, what's the crayon for, you know, and then just trying to like either like, um, reward them for not coloring on the couch. Whereas mom's like trying to grab it away, which is avoidance and then takes away even the opportunity for them to mess up. And I'm going to just do some scaffolding of like, what's a crayon for, you know, here's a piece of paper. And if you happen to color on your couch, like you did last time you were here, I'll clean it. It will come off, you know, Mm -hmm. like couches are made pretty strong these days. So Uh, you're thinking about different things to reinforce yes, and different things to and this is another behavioral term, extinguish, to right? Extinguish, to, right. To, which to, an extinguish basically means we, we stop reinforcing something. Like so I don't stop. want them to draw on the couch. So you're not going to give that attention. You're not going right. to give that reinforcement. I'm not going to be like, no, 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 grab it away. And did it, right? Because well, which, more, yeah. And that's what people get confused about, right? Because they think like, if I say no, 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 but what they forget is, is that that's adding no, 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 it's attention. It's attention, right? And yeah, attention yeah. is a very potent reinforcer. It right? certainly is. And I think that we see that a lot in, you know, and that's where like, yeah. I think I, I value the foundation of psychology where it's like attachment mm-hmm. theory, birth mm-hmm. order. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's helpful data. Yes. So like if I have a last born client and they're like emotionally dysregulated and look for attention in their relationship, well, it makes sense because that's likely how we operated in our family system. You probably had yes. to tantrum at the table to finish yes. your dinner or, you know, things of that yes. nature. Um, and, and, and I think I, I operate that way just like professionally. So if I have students, you know, in general, or even just professionally for like state associations or national associations, professional, like you don't want to give like so much energy and attention and engagement with the outliers. So if, if you're getting in an argument with someone on a list, you know, over email, or if, uh, mm-hmm. in my case, like if a student is making a lot of noise, I'm not going to engage in a really ineffective way because that's, be- I'm, be- because, well, because that's going to make that behavior that other person's doing more likely to happen. That's exactly and I think right. that's what, pe- that's what people, again, when, not that they were supposed to, like, you know, we had to go to a lot of school to learn about this stuff, right? That's why we're, that's why we're sharing it on a podcast. We want everyone to know, like having these foundational, um, this foundational understanding of how, how behavior is influenced and shaped is really helpful in like deciding like, well, how do I want to interact with this situation? Knowledge is power. Yeah, it is. Knowledge is power. And how I want to interact. I love that. How do I want to interact with it? Because it's not, we don't always want to, and we want to really set some like healthy, good boundaries around, you know, who and how and when we interact. And I think a lot of times if I do some like role playing with some clients, uh, I'm like, oh, it's sounding too psychological. Like, and I get it because they're like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Can I write that down and say that mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, my kid or whatever? Sure, it's like, sure, sure. sure, you could write it down, but it's like, this just comes with practice. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and, you know, I, I like that you um, said a few minutes ago, like, it's important that nobody expects that you're going to execute these behavioral interventions in some, you know, robotic, perfect manner that right. like, we're like, you know, Pete and I say it all the time, like, 
we're humans, like we're messy, right? Yeah. And we live in a messy human world. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And we really, and we mess up, which is like, I- I'm so thankful for that, like messing up because I'm imperfect. And that might also be helpful for people to hear. So one of the things I'll say to clients is like, yes, this sounded really good in here. And I'm a psychologist with training in this, you know, and as long as you give it a shot, that's already better than nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's a quote that I, um, I often think about and I share with my students when I'm uh, beginning to train them in, in the basics of, of behavioral science, which I believe, I hope I am uh, attributing this correctly. One of my mentors used to say it, and I think she said Marsha Linehan said it, yeah. who is, you know, uh, the creator of dialectical behavior therapy. And she always says, no one is immune to the principles of behaviorism, not even therapists. Yeah. And the reason that we, I, we, I say this to students is because it, again, we could say not even anybody, not even parents, not even teachers, not yeah. even fill you know, in the blank. Yeah, fill in the blank. Yeah. The point being that we're everything we do is behavior. Yeah. Everything everybody else does is behavior. And yeah. we're constantly influencing each other and shaping each other. And when we have this knowledge about what ten, you know, what behavioral science says works more effectively yeah. and what doesn't work so work so effectively, we have the opportunity to choose behaviors that, you know, might make things go a little bit more smoothly. And no one is immune to behaviorism. And so as I, what I hope that reader, uh, listeners think about with this is as the holiday season's upon us, just think about what is it that you're trying to reinforce, right? What are you trying to punish? Uh, and can you work to at least raise awareness around extinguishing some behaviors without dancing and engaging in the unhealthy activities and communications that we often do? This has been When East Meets West. I'm Dr. Pete Economo. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin. Be present, be brave. This has been When East Meets West. All material is based on opinion and educational training of Drs. Pete Economo and Nikki Rubin. Content is for informational and educational purposes only.